So much of the ideology of Satanism is a recipe for good mental health and self-image, is it any wonder why the real adversaries, mostly Christian organizations, want to vilify it and push the stereotypes to the point where the real messaging can't rise above the din? The simple truth of the matter is that Satanism is largely about knowledge, enlightenment, and pride. But of course, these are all things that Christianity frames as being bad. They're normal people, and with all due respect, some of them have a more firm grounding in things like morals and ethics than the average evangelical ever will. I like how the underlying principle in most branches of the religion is doing what feels right for the individual. I like that Satanism allows questions to be asked and conclusions drawn. It's not just a list of hard and fast rules and thou shalt and thou shalt nots. Being a heretic is bad, or is it? Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith, and life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And it's time to get Unbound. Well, it's week two of Unbound October, and we've got a devilishly good show for you tonight. <laughs> uh, we are tackling a subject that I can assure you isn't anything like your pastor ever told you it was. It's not even what popular media has told you it is. In fact, there are varied opinions about what it is from within its own ranks. Mm -hmm. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this week, we are looking at the subject of Satanism, and we'll hopefully be able to set the record straight about what it is, what it means to the people who identify as such, and just how evil it really isn't. But before we get into that, just want to let you know that our Patreon account is active at patreon.com slash Network. Just a fiver will help us help more people get and stay unbound with content like this and some of the other 82 episodes that you now have to choose from also. I'm sure that anyone stumbling upon this show for the first time at this point is going to find something that they find interesting, something that kind of touches them personally, and we're really just starting. We're really just getting started with this, and we need your help to be able to keep it going. So starting at $5 a month, just over a buck an episode, you can really help us help others get to the point where they understand, number one, that it's okay to get out of this thing called evangelical Christianity. And if they're already out, that yes, they absolutely did the right thing. We're one of a lot of resources out there, but I think that we bring a very unique voice to this particular subject. And if you agree, just tell someone new about us this week. Give us a good rating. Give us five stars where you can. Write a review. Reviews are awesome. Reviews really, really go a long way. And those are the things that you can do, whether or not you have the money to uh, to share with us. And if you do, fantastic. We're happy to have it and do good things with it. But if not, then you have these other avenues where you can help us just as much. And we hope that you will. And like I said last week, we are foregoing the Christians Behaving Badly segment just for the month of October. We want to have a few more friendly adult-to-adult conversations about things that are common misconceptions within evangelical circles. And coming out of evangelical faith, there are things that you need to know. And what Satanism is and what it isn't is one of them. Next week, we're also going to be delving into the subject of the occult. Okay, but aren't these two things the same thing? Well, you know what? That's another thing that your pastor probably told mm. you that isn't exactly correct. I mean, there are Satanists who are occultists, but not all occultists are Satanists. 
and that's why we're separating these two subjects. Tonight we're talking about Satanism, and next week we're going to be talking about occultism, so you don't want to miss that. So with that little bit of a lead-in, let's just dive right in and talk about this thing called Satanism. So, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes Hmm. that as evangelicals we're taught to believe about what Satanism is. And believe me, around 1985, 87, even a little bit later, I had my own conceptions of and and gross misconceptions of what this thing is. And here are just some of the stereotypes that I was taught or that found their way into my head, whether they were taught to me or they just came out of my imagination because of things that were taught to me. But... I did hear a lot about certain things, including human sacrifices. Oh, yeah, this is supposedly a big thing in Satanism. Yeah, Yeah, they're going around killing people all the time, but they're not being held accountable for it. Imagine that. Hmm. Um, Dark sex rituals, you know, I heard that particular term used. Perverted sex rituals. I didn't know the difference between perverted and non-perverted at that point. Sex was (laughs) sex, and I had a very skewed image in my head of what that was to begin with. So telling me that there are things like orgies and other sex rituals that are involved in Satanism, it's like, yeah, whatever. But it's not entirely off base either. Uh, The question is whether or not there are moral issues with it. Christians would say yes, but are there really? Well, you know, we're going to get into the moralistic aspect of this a little bit later too. And you can decide for yourself whether or not what you're hearing falls under the cover of good morals and good ethics. And I think that you're going to be surprised at how much of it actually does. But getting back on track, because I'm already going off into left field, (laughs) bizarre communion traditions. You know, I blame Mike Warnke for most of this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the way that he described things. And then there was, I think, in that god-awful Geraldo special. Oh, yeah. Someone described what uh, satanic communion was supposed to look like so i had this image in my head for a long time but i think it was mostly mike warnke incidentally i'm going off the rails again because i'm going to make a shameless plug for another one of our favorite shows you know when i was trying to come up with topics for unbound october one of my first ideas was to do a few biographical pieces on a few people who are associated with things like demonology satanism like anton Lavey. Bob Larson. Well, Mike Warnke was on my list. And now I'm kind of glad that I didn't go that route because last podcast on the left is currently talking about Mike Warnke on their show. Right. And they've basically gone through in one episode everything that I could say. And they're actually doing a series on him. So I'm interested to see what's going to happen next with us. Yes. So again, shameless plug. And here we go <laughs> back on subject. And I don't think anybody knows what the fuck we're talking about anymore. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, this is a little bit more free form than we normally do. I like the idea of just having a conversation and conversations do go off on tangents once in a while. But pulling it back in, other stuff that I was led to believe when I was a young evangelical about this thing called Satanism. I was told that Satanists are generally unlikable people and don't like people that much, don't like being out in public, don't like showing their face. Mm. Well, you know, here's the thing. You've probably met more Satanists than you realize you have. Right. And they're probably a whole hell of a lot more normal than you would think them to be. Because it's not all about theatrics and and all the things that we get tossed into our head about what this is. They're normal people. 
And with all due respect, some of them have a more firm grounding in things like morals and ethics than the average evangelical ever will. I was led to believe that Satanists, anarchists, skinheads, goths, punks, and the like were all basically the same thing. So, you know, when you're told this kind of shit when you're a kid, it all kind of amalgamates in your head and you get this picture of what it is that is so, so, so not what it is. Right. Popular media doesn't help much with this. No. But just the stuff that's put in your head when your pastor tells you this shit is enough to make things just so skewed inside your head that it's necessary once you reach this point when you're listening to a podcast like this to really get the record straight on and understand. And that's why we're talking about this tonight. Last but not least, heavy metal music was a huge tool of Satanism. Well, there's a lot of dark theatrics in metal. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, <laughs> there's there's very, very little that is genuinely Satanic, number one. And number two, the stuff that tries to sell itself as Satanic is just that it's theatrics. Right. And it's done for shock value. And we're going to get into that aspect of it a little bit later on. But Satanism, as a term itself, is very broad, and it includes a very diverse group of people who basically view Satan as a model or symbol or force around which they can structure their lives. For the most part, Satan is an intellectual concept and a construct for determining thoughts, opinions, attitudes, and behaviors. I don't even want to say morals and ethics at this point, but there are clear moral and ethical lines that most flavors of Satanism not only teach, but draw proverbial lines in the sand over. Mostly things that deprive people of their rights, violate their bodies, or make them, as YouTube likes to hear these days, unalive. Mm. Um, There are also a number of media misconceptions. I teased this a minute ago, but it's very, very true. That freaking Geraldo special. Oh, yeah, that was influential. Oh, man, that... And it was nothing but propaganda. Oh, sure. There was nothing true. Right. It was all like selling something because this stuff was popular and it got ratings. Of course. People were obsessed with it. Yeah. And it didn't matter whether or not what he was saying was factual. No. Because the way that he framed it, all of those clips and all of the things that you saw during that show were supposed to be the things that gave the proof and gave factual information. Right. But one of the things that I learned going to Connecticut School of Broadcasting a lot of years ago now, but I went to CSB back around 2005, and it really is amazing what you can do with TV and the images on TV. You can take things completely out of context. You can take just a shot or a sentence or something and put it someplace else Now, I could do that with this show, too, because of the way that we edit, but I I don't. I do this in a very linear way. But in TV, it is not uncommon to move things around a little bit, to Mm. change the course of conversations, to change where things are said in a conversation on a talk show, something like that. It is not at all uncommon. And, you know, when you really take a close look at this thing, and it's on YouTube, you can actually watch it. When you take a close look at the Geraldo special, there was a lot of that going on. Even though I think that when it aired, it was supposedly live, there were a lot of pre-recorded clips in there. And you can tell how they put this stuff together to make the point clear on a certain line. And there's a lot more to it. I'm not going to get into all the 
all the uh, the trickery that goes into editing and situations like that. But just suffice it to say that that special, you know, I think that the real trickery of it was that it was live, and they did right. that, and they did it that way so that they could promote it as you know, well, this is this is happening right in front of you. Well. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. Right. And the parts that weren't were the ones that told most of the story. Right. So there was that. I don't know if anybody else is going to understand that, but yeah. there's a lot of trickery. Right. But they're just trying to tell a story. Mm-hmm. They're trying to tell a story that is going to catch someone's interest. Right. And it's all very interesting. Well, everything in Even that special was interesting. So they're just trying to tell a story to catch people and get ratings. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And do we even need to go into the evangelical misconceptions of this? Oh, my God. All the Mm. shit that I was told for years, not just my teen years, like well, well into my 20s that I heard and believed just because it came from the pulpit. And why would my pastor lie to me? But one of the sources that I used for this episode is a website that's called LearnReligions.com. And I found a good quote in one of the articles there that kind of encapsulates what evangelicals do with this really nicely. It says, we're feeding off what the media has to say about Satanism, and the media is getting its information from Christianity. Of course. Because where else are they going to get it from? Mm. Who else gives a fuck? Right. You know, that's really what it boils down to. And let's talk about how they love to turn isolated incidents into stereotypes. I think about things like Sean Sellers. Right. who was a very high-profile murderer, who, at least in an attempt to save himself from a lethal injection, he got saved in prison and started this whole, quote-unquote, ministry around how the devil made him do it. Right. There was that. Richard Ramirez was another right. one with his Hail Satan and the pentagram on his, on his palm. Um, then there's the rantings of various death metal, goth, and skinhead groups, mostly in the 1970s and 80s, and the media likes to latch onto these things. Geraldo right. wasn't the only one who was guilty oh, no. of this. Popular media latched onto a lot of this stuff because, with all due respect, it was popular. Remember all the devil movies that came out in the 70s? Oh, yeah. People dug this shit, and they knew it. Yeah. So, of course, whenever some lunatic was out there doing something in the name of Satan, the cameras were right there. Right. And that was true for a lot of years. And those were kind of some of the minor things that fueled the satanic panic a little bit later on. Right. But the public likes this shit. Yeah. They always have. They're always going to. So it's good. It makes for good television. And that's why they do it. It makes for good mass media of any type. And that's why they right. do it. You know, movies, same thing. You know, there's, there's a lot of bullshit about Satanism in the movies, too. I know that uh, a lot of people didn't believe in Satan before the movies came out. Like The Exorcist. And oh, Rosemary's yeah. Baby. Well, there, I mean, and there were all many people of those who believed ones. in it, but they but, didn't believe that it was something that could touch their lives. Right. Before then. Right. Yeah. And that kind of fed into everything. You can see the beginnings of the Satanic Panic back in the 70s. Oh, yeah. And, you know, last podcast, the way that they're talking about Mike Warnke, I never thought about it right. this way, but he played a decent sized role in that. Yes, he did. So, you know, again, listen to these episodes. They're like really, really good. You'll understand what was happening during the satanic panic better when you understand his story. But again, we're getting off track. The simple truth of the matter is that Satanism is largely about knowledge, enlightenment, and pride. 
But of course, these are all things that Christianity frames as being bad. Right. You know, how did Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. At which time they gained enlightenment and learned a little thing called pride. Or, you know, in this instance, you can uh, synonymize pride with modesty. Right. You know, they became yeah. adults. They realized they were naked and they put clothes on. So all of these things, you know, the very, very first couple of chapters of the book vilify things that most Satanists stand for. And they are not, they're, they're not evil or bad things. When applied in the right way, they're actually very good things. Right. But let's remember that Satan is the author of lies and the promoter of evil in the eyes of the real adversaries. You know, then they like to call Satan the adversary in a lot of evangelical circles. But who are the real adversaries here? Well, the real adversaries are actually the Christians who decry all of these things as being bad when they're just part of human nature and human development. People want to know things. Of course we do. Well, I mean, smart people want to know things. Yeah, but most people want to learn at least enough to get by in life. True, true. In reality, if you want the honest truth of the matter here, Satan is one of the precious few truthful characters in the Bible. Yeah. Far more so than Yahweh. And the evil he's alleged to promote, if you want to go with the popular story of him being the snake in the garden, which he wasn't, okay, he wasn't, was actually the way he basically helped Adam and Eve grow up. I hold firmly to the belief that the story of the Garden of Eden is about the transition from childhood to adulthood And the Bible frames this as a bad thing. Just keep relying on daddy. Stay children forever. Keep that childlike mindset forever. And that's how you're going to be happy. Well, that's kind of bullshit. Because eventually we kind of need to grow up. And we need to have a sense of self and autonomy. And these are the things that Adam and Eve gained that day. And they're framed as bad things in the Bible. The real truth is that Satanism actually promotes diversity. You can do what you want, live how you want, and believe what you want, with very, very few caveats along the way. Satanists do a good job of separating who they are from what other people think. They do a magnificent job of this. They are some of the most don't-give-a-fuck people out there. Mm. Um, They seem to have a lot more self-assurance, I think, than the average evangelical, and basically, they, again, don't give two shits what anyone else thinks about anything. That's just the way that it is. These are my beliefs. This is how I choose to live my life. And, you know, as long as as long as you're not doing anything stupid and hurting people or getting in the way of me having the life that I want, then you, you can do whatever you want. Your life is inconsequential in contrast to mine or in how it affects mine right. is the way that they will a lot of times think about this. And I think that it's also very, very, very important to understand that most Satanists are, in fact, atheists. They don't believe in Satan as a god. It's a construct, a set of things to have in your head, basically. That's what Satanism actually is, and we'll expound on that just a little bit. But as I was going through researching this and making notes and remembering things, um, Mm. I actually found some good content that outlines how heavy metal music and metalheads became stereotyped as satanic or Satanists. Right. It actually, I, I didn't even know this, but it actually started with Charles Manson 
and people pointing fingers at Acid Rock as the influencer on the things that the Manson family did. Then there was, again, like starting around the mid-70s, you had a lot of shock rockers that hit the scene. You had Alice Cooper, you had Kiss, you had Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden. And some of these did start their careers a little bit earlier, but we're talking about when things started blowing up for them. Venom, Slayer, early 80s-ish. I can can remember those two. Uh, There were a lot of Slayer fans in my high school. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And um, if you want to be perceived as devil worshippers, here's, you know, they they kind of provided you the roadmap for it. Just use a lot of dark imagery. Pentagrams are also a nice touch. You know, it worked for Motley Crue. It worked for Slayer. Worked for a couple of them, actually. Yeah. When I think about this part of it, though, I think immediately of bands like Iron Maiden, Dio, Saxon, Slayer in point of fact, King Diamond. Yeah, I didn't listen to a whole lot of Venom. I knew at least one of their songs really well. Even Motley Crue, which I think is kind of out on the fringes of that particular group. But boy, did they like to play that angle with the pentagrams and songs like Shout at the Devil. Right. You know, they were out there with it. They, They capitalized on it for sure. But there really is nothing like lyrics like these to grab attention and fuel pointless hysteria. I mentioned Venom just a second ago. These are some, some of the lyrics to their song Possessed. Look at me, Satan's child, born of evil, thus defiled, brought to life through satanic birth, raised in hell to live on earth. Oh, oh, that's too, that's too gross to even read out loud. Um, then there's the part that we heard at every Satan and Rock Music rally. The I guess this would be the be considered the chorus. I'm possessed by all that is evil. The death of your God I command. I spit at the virgin you worship and sit at my Lord Satan's left hand. This is what was out there in like the early eighties. So, you know, there was something to the hysteria, or I mean, I could see people being a little bit freaked out. And a little bit offended by some of this, whether they're Christians or not. Right. But at the end of the day, it was just a form of theatrics that was aimed at a very specific demographic. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> I mean, there were there were a lot of I saw a lot of fucking Slayer T-shirts in my high school. Yeah. Just just saying, there were a lot. Of, yeah. And Venom was another kind of big one, but um, no Slayer. The only reason why I knew any songs by Slayer was because. It was so prevalent in my high school that you kind of couldn't get away from it. You know, it was on a lot of the kids' boomboxes. Their stuff was on a lot of people's radios. Not not radios, the, in, on their tape players and whatnot. Yeah, my high school was, was skewed heavily towards Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Ma- well, Maiden was also huge, too. Yeah. I, mean, I saw a lot of that. They came close to where I lived a couple of times, so you know you you found out just how many fans there were <laughs> when everybody showed up in their t-shirts the day after the concert. I miss the eighties. I, I don't know. know if kids do that anymore. You know the concerts come into town and then everybody's wearing the t-shirt the next day. I don't yeah, know if that's even a thing I don't anymore. Even know. No, I but don't know. that was a fun part of my youth. I liked <laughs> that. You actually got to know things about people. Because it's like, oh my God, she went to Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> some some people you just wouldn't expect. And you learn things. I kind of like that. But guess what? We're going off the rails again. <laughs> this is what happens when we try and have a conversation on this show, though. Yes. But uh, it's all good. Uh, we do have a lot to say, though, so let's get back on track. 
then, of course, you know, we're talking about the shock rock aspect of this. There's Nativity in Black by Black Sabbath. Look in my eyes. You'll see who I am. My name is Lucifer. Please take my hand. And then outside the realm of metal, we even had the Rolling Stones favor us with Sympathy for the Devil, which honestly has a more John Milton kind of yeah. vibe to it. Yeah. You know, just... Not not necessarily, these are the evil things that I've done. It's like, these are the evil things that happen in the world. Yes. And this is the likely cause, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, I don't know if the Stones believed in a literal Satan or not, or if this it was just this zeitgeist kind of concept to them, right. too. But, you know, again, most of these songs were pretty innocuous anyway. Even, even the stuff by Venom, I think, was pretty innocuous. It was just so over the top. Right. And so overwrought but how are you really supposed to take it seriously that's what they needed that's what they wanted yes, yes. That was and what that's they were going what for. the teenagers wanted mm-hmm. oh totally their main audience yep that was that was the 80s for you and you could get away with more i yeah. mean i don't think any of this stuff would work oh like, no at it wouldn't all fly now. no but you could get away with a lot more back then yeah and this was definitely a niche but it was a big niche mm-hmm. they got a lot of attention and sometimes from a lot of the wrong sources. But, you know, now when I think back on that and I think about where some of those sources came from, I just wish that there were more influences in my life telling me to check this shit out for myself. Right. Because I think that it would have become way more apparent just how innocuous it was if I had just thought for myself a little bit more back then. But how many of us were being taught to do that? (laughs) None of us were being taught to do that. And like, with anything else christians just couldn't separate the reality from the theatrics with any of it but i found this very interesting back in the day even bob larson and we've mentioned him before you can look him up if you don't know who he is but bob larson admitted in spin magazine back in the late ish 80s i want to say 87 88 somewhere in that neighborhood he admitted that slayer's shtick in particular was nothing but theatrics he actually had been bad-mouthing a lot of these bands for a long time on his show. And the publishers of Spin actually got in touch with him and said, well, you know, we'd kind of like to send you on the road with Slayer for a few dates. And not, you know, not so he could give his point-counterpoint, but just so that he could observe and see what they did, how they did it. And out on tour with them, he was amazed at just how staged, scripted, and choreographed that entire thing actually was. Right. And came back and actually did, I think, a couple of days on his show. He he didn't want to shut up about this when he got yeah. back. And honestly, it was weird because he spent a couple of days basically telling his audience that he was wrong. Which is very, yeah, that's very unusual. uncharacteristic of Bob Larson. Yeah. But even he, seeing it right in front of his face, could not come back and say that there was anything evil going on. It was all a big show, and that was it. Right. Now, of course, later on, he did go on to decry why it's not such a great idea to organize your show this way and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the bottom line is he couldn't find anything fault-worthy with it in terms of anything satanic. No. There was nothing satanic about it, and he fucking admitted it. And, of course, we all know how this hysteria then morphed into a huge arm of the satanic panic during which time every band from Black Sabbath to Jefferson fucking Airplane was being branded as satanic and people like the Peters Brothers, Joe Vieira and Gary Greenwald, my personal favorite, bitch you owe me money I smashed so many of my fucking records and tapes over you 
you owe me money. Yeah. Okay? Just become a patron. I'll be happy with that. Yeah, you know, right? If you're hearing this, just throw us some money. I'll be very happy, and I'll spend it well to keep telling people how full of shit you are. But they were out there making bank on a little psychological trick called backward masking. That was all of these guys. Yes. Um, we'll tell you what to listen for. You'll listen and you'll hear it. And that's precisely what happened. That's really and truly all there was to it, even with Stairway to Heaven. And, you know, I'll even admit that that one still dumbfounds me because it certainly sounds like there's some shit going on there. Yeah. But I also know that it boils down to nothing more than coincidence and a little pre-suggestion and maybe just how odd certain phonetic sounds really are when you play them backwards yeah and how some of them kind of echo and mirror each other i really would have liked to see a more scientific study of this going on back in the day Mm. but it was kind of a juggernaut right and a lot of us a lot of us uh bought into it and i know for me it was one of the things that convinced my young self that satan was a real thing so, and that was, that was the point. That was yeah. what they were trying to get us to believe. One of the big stereotypes with Satanism that I want to just talk about for a couple of minutes here is the subject of human sacrifice. You know, this surprised me when I was doing my research. It's actually a fact that Anton LaVey advocated when he was alive for a concept that he describes as human sacrifice in the Satanic Bible. But here's the thing. It's a very woo-rific, mystical sort of thing for a guy who had very secular opinions on what his religion was actually all about. Right. Um, think of this. Anyone who knows, and I, we still need to do a show on energy healing. Yeah. Um, but anyone who knows what Reiki is, just think about this form of quote-unquote human sacrifice, the way that you would distance Reiki, but kind of with malicious intent. Mm. Okay. In short... It's obviously bunk. It doesn't work. It's not really supposed to work. It's more about expressing and purging negative feelings and emotions toward the target. It has all the effect of swearing at someone from your car who will never hear you or know that you're angry at them. It really is as effective as that. But if that's the case, can we just maybe call it something else? Well, no, because we're going to learn a little bit more about Anton LaVey in a couple of minutes. But one thing I'll tell you right now is that his MO was always very over the top. One source I found stated quite bluntly that in many instances, LaVey's choice of words was intentionally inflammatory. Human sacrifice, after all, sounds a lot more caustic than calling it, say, negative projection or something new agey like that. Right. No, he called it what he called it to elicit shock value. That was the whole thing. So I know that there are some people out there that are thinking this right now. Okay, Spider. So if we take Jesus's words about hating your parents and whatnot seriously, why try to cushion this concept? Because he said the words, didn't he? He said human sacrifice. That's what he said. Well, there's a simple answer to that question. In the Bible, Jesus never offered any further exposition or explained what he meant when he said his goal was to pit children against parents, siblings against siblings and whatnot. But the Satanic Bible does clarify that the religion decries criminal activity and explains that this iteration of human sacrifice involves magic words, not physical weapons or violence, period. That is in the fucking book, okay? The Bible doesn't go on to uh, explain those words of Jesus any further than what he actually says. But we can read in the Satanic Bible what this concept is actually about and 
the reader is told explicitly that killing people is a bad thing. Yes. So there is that. So this actually is at least, and you know, some people will think this is a little bit of a stretch, but I think that it actually applies. There's a biblical principle behind this brand of quote-unquote human sacrifice. If you want to get technical, it's the same basic concept of giving people up to a reprobate mind. This is a concept that you find in Romans 128. It's a ritual separation of ourselves from their way of thinking and from them as individuals, cutting off their influence in our lives. Think of this iteration of human sacrifice in the same way that you would telling someone you're dead to me. Mm-hmm. that's basically what this is more than anything. So, you know, that's just, and it's, it's one podcaster's interpretation of this. There may be others. Satanists may have others, but that seems pretty close to me. And if I'm off on that, then, you know, feel free to let me know. I'm always interested to know if I'm a little off center on something. And, mm-hmm. you know, because we, we deal in truth around here. Yeah. So if there are any Satanists out there listening and thinking, Oh, that, that's so full of shit. Well, let me know. I want to know if I'm full of shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Moving ahead just a little bit, just like there are denominations of Christianity, there are what they call branches of Satanism. Because, just like in any religion, there are disagreements and differing points of view regarding the structure and practice of Satanism. Here are a few of the ways that people interpret and practice this religion slash ideology slash philosophy that is Satanism. Satanists, by and large, say that they follow left-hand paths. These are lifestyles that are focused on self-determination and the power of the self. They don't typically submit to a superior force. This is what many of them claim separates them from other religions, particularly Wicca, which draws predominantly on the belief in literal deities. By the time I was done with Wicca, I was definitely more Satanist in the way I viewed things, but I never identified as such. You know, at that point, I wasn't looking to hop into another religion. Right. But by the time I was done with Wicca, it had become very, very apparent to me that all of these things that I was calling on other deities to help me with was all coming from inside myself. Right. So it was just a means of focusing my attention where I needed it to be focused and pulling those parts of my intellect out to the forefront so that they could talk. That's what the whole thing with quote unquote working with deities was about. And the more I started to understand that, the less I felt like I needed those deities because I understood that I can do this without the middleman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it's still something that I work on and strive for. And yes, it may have been just a little bit easier standing there at an altar, smelling incense and watching candles burn. It might have been a little bit easier to center and focus. But with all due respect, there comes a point where you need to get good at doing this yourself. Yeah. And that, I think, is a lot of the message with a lot of beliefs within Satanism is that we've got this set of principles that we adhere to that we use as reference points, more to the point, not really an adherence, but we refer to these things when we're making decisions about how we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And the deities for me in Wicca were those reference points also because they helped me think about things in the direction that I needed to think about them. The left-hand path is also where Satanism deviates from the read. The whole harm none aspect, if anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, the Wiccan read, it's a long-ish poem. For most people, it kind of 
whittles down to just one sentence. As it harms none, do what you will. So that is what the Wiccan Reed says. In contrast, the Satanic Bible says, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. It says nothing about not doing harm. So that's where Satanism kind of deviates from the Reed. The harm none aspect is removed and replaced with by not harming anyone who doesn't deserve it. Mm. You see, there's a qualitative difference there. Yeah. Let's talk for just a second about a concept called reactive Satanism. Now, believe it or not, some of the crazy shit that you heard in the 80s was true and was fueled by the satanic panic, which is why you the only reason you heard about it in the first place. Mm. There were those, usually younger people, who really managed to cash in on the counterculture of reactive Satanism. And here's the result. Uh, I like this quote from LearnReligions.com about this. The term reactive Satanism, or adolescent Satanism, refers to groups of individuals who adopt the stories of mainstream religion but invert its value. Thus, Satan is still an evil god as defined in Christianity, but one to be worshipped rather than shunned and feared. In the 1980s, adolescent gangs combined inverted Christianity with romantic Gnostic elements inspired by black metal music and Christian scare propaganda, role-playing games and horror imagery, and engaging in petty crime. Which, you know, any real Satanist is going to tell you some of these things aren't all that great, yeah. especially the engaging in petty crime thing. Yeah. They don't like any form of actual lawlessness where, the, right. where you are breaking actual prescribed laws they don't like that at all in contrast most modern rationalistic and esoteric satanist groups are loosely organized with a set of moralities which explicitly focus on this world some may have a more transcendent spiritual dimension that might include the possibility of an afterlife some groups tend to be more exclusively naturalistic and all shun violence in criminal activities now one of the most defining examples of rationalistic Satanism would be the Church of Satan, which was founded by a guy named Anton LaVey. So, Shell, I asked you to do some research on yeah. two things for this episode. Anton LaVey was the first one. So before we get into any of this, you know, not so much so that you can understand what's going to happen next, because I think that a lot of this is very cut and dry. Oh, yeah. But knowing where it comes from, I think it's going to be a little bit entertaining for a lot of people out oh, yeah. there because I think a lot of people also have this picture of Anton LaVey in their head that's a lot loftier. Yeah. That's a lot scarier than this dude actually was. So tell us a little bit about Anton LaVey. Okay. Anton LaVey, born Howard Stanton Levy, lived from April 11th, 1930 to October 29, 1997. We know very little of his early life. The only accounts we do have are from the man himself, and he liked to embellish his stories. That's one way of putting it. Yes. Well, we know he was a good musician, and he played many instruments, though his favorites were piano and accordion. He claims to have always had an interest in the occult, later claiming that his grandmother was from Transylvania and told him stories of demons and vampires. He went to high school in Mill Valley, California, until the age of 16, when he wanted to explore and see what else was out there for him. He started playing the oboe and organ at various local venues and claimed to have been a performer in a traveling circus, working as a roustabout, playing the calliope, or as a cage boy in the Big Cat Show. LaVey later claimed to have seen that many of the same men attended both the body Saturday night shows 
and the tent revival meetings on Sunday mornings, which reinforced his increasingly cynical view of religion. I love that part. I've yeah. heard that before. I actually think that I've heard him talk about that yeah. before. Because I think that it was one of the things that really had an impact on him when he was younger. Right. Was to see the guys basically doing the Saturday Sinner Sunday Saint thing. Yeah. So I, I can see being put off by any religion that, uh, that has people that do that as a means of basically advertising it. Whether they realized they were advertising it or not, that's what they were doing. So I can certainly see yeah. how things are starting to heat up here just sort of percolate in his mind about yeah. some of this stuff. Later on, he started to work in bars and nightclubs and claims to have had a brief fling with Marilyn Monroe. Bullshit. While, while working in a burlesque house. This is a highly disputed claim, like most of the rest of the facts of his earlier life. Highly disputed claim. That's a very, very kind way of saying that. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. According to his biography, LaVey moved back to San Francisco. In 1950, LaVey met Carol Lansing. They married the following year when Lansing was 15 years old. Jesus. I think he was 20. I thought we were young. Oh <laughs> I my know, God. right? Lansing gave birth to LaVey's first daughter, Carla LaVey, born in 1952. So she was 17 yeah. when she had his kid. Y yeah. Jesus, okay. In order to avoid the Korean War draft, he studied criminology at City College of San Francisco. LaVey then attained a job as a photographer for the San Francisco Police Department. That sounds like a fun job. Doesn't it, though? When you think about some of the things that he had to document. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where he worked for three years. He dabbled as a psychic investigator, looking into 800 calls referred to him by the San Francisco Police Department. Later biographers questioned whether LaVey ever worked with the San Francisco Police Department as there are no records substantiating the claim. That kind of bums me out. I know. Because, you know, doing that kind of work, I could see also being a piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So if he never did it, you know, that kind of sucks. I have, you know, it's like this is all questionable. Maybe something like that happened. Maybe he was just employed as the police photographer. You never know. You there's, don't there's know. There's so much that revolves around this guy that's questionable. How do you even start to categorize any of it? I know. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. In San Francisco, he was a local celebrity through his paranormal research and his position as a musician in various clubs. He was also a publicly noticeable figure. He drove a coroner's van around town, and he walked his pet black leopard named Zoltan. <laughs> I can see this. I can see I this. I can so see this in my Plus, head. It's I mean, awesome. He's like six feet tall, clean-shaven, yeah. bald head, mm -hmm. and, and a goatee. A pointy goatee. He was an odd-looking dude, but did he look that odd for San Francisco? That's what I want to know. I think back then... Because there's a lot of diversity yeah, in San Francisco, and I there think there was then, too. Yes. Well, yeah. LaVey began presenting Friday night lectures on the occult and rituals. A member of this circle suggested that he had the basis for a new religion. According to LaVey himself on Walpurgisnacht, April 30th, 1966, he ritualistically shaved his head in the tradition of the ancient executioners, declared the founding of the Church of Satan and proclaimed 1966 as the year one, Anno Satanus, the first year of the age of Satan. 
1969, he published the Satanic Bible to clarify the position that the Church of Satan promoted self-determination and the idea that humans should simply enjoy life. I don't see anything wrong with that. Nope, me neither. He very publicly conducted satanic weddings and baptisms, starting with his own daughter, as well as other rituals. When the idea of walking with Satan started falling out of favor in the early 70s due to the Manson family murders, he took things underground and no longer appeared in public except for brief occasions. He died of pulmonary edema on October 29, 1997, though his death certificate says October 31st, as if in keeping with the showman that he was. It's close enough. Yes. So that's just a little bit about the man. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the religion that he helped to found. You know, it's odd to think that some of this stuff is as contemporary as it is. So let's take a look at the actual religion that this guy created. In the 1960s, a highly secularized and atheistic type of Satanism arose under the direction of American author and occultist Anton Zander LaVey. LaVey created the Satanic Bible, which remains the most readily available text on the Satanic religion. He also formed the Church of Satan, which is by far the most well-known and most public Satanic organization. LaVeyan Satanism is, in fact, atheistic. So, you know, the, I, I remember hearing back in the day that um, around the time that he died, that he had kind of recanted a lot of things that he said and that he admitted on his deathbed that Satan wasn't real. Well, he admitted long before he was on his deathbed that Satan isn't real. It's always been a concept in his mind. There are no gods of any kind in Levian Satanism. No literal Yahweh, no literal Satan, no literal Pan, Zeus, or anything else. It's purely secular in the way that it's presented. As a matter of fact, LeVay goes as far as to basically say that we're all our own little gods. We are the higher power in the universe, and we don't need anything else. So Satan then becomes the encapsulation of the qualities that Satanists embrace and aspire to. Invoking the name of Satan and other infernal names in LeVayan ritual is a means of focusing and centering. And this was what I was doing in Wicca and didn't know it when I was calling in different deities into my space. This was precisely what I was doing. But at the time, I had no idea. And I also like the notion that Levian Satanism teaches not to suppress emotion. All emotions are good as far as he's concerned. Love, hate, anger, whatever, it's all good. It all has its place. But they all require channeling in appropriate directions. That's another thing I really like. There's so much rational thought that goes on about this stuff in the midst of the chaos that was how he did things. That's, yeah. it's just, it's impressive, but also amusing yeah. when you consider just how theatrical yeah. the things that he did were also. And then there's the matter of the seven deadly sins. I came up with this, uh, this part of it in my research specifically about Levian Satanism. So it got me thinking a little bit about each of these things in turn and what the average Satanist might say about them, what the, what the average secularist Satanist might say about the seven deadly sins. They're framed as pathways to mental, emotional, and physical gratification in Satanist terms, which is why I think Christianity teaches us to shun them as opposed to getting good at using them. 
There's a place for all of them, but again, in a controlled way. So let's look at each of them in turn. Lust. And here's what I think the average Satanist would say about lust. Well, uh, are we aware, first of all, of where babies come from? Oh, and sex is actually kind of awesome, and you should have some. That's the way they would look at that. Gluttony, a little indulgence now and then can actually be good for you, but your physical well-being does matter too. That's the way they would look at that, I think. Greed, well, you know, without that, there's no free enterprise. Sloth, downtime and laziness aren't necessarily bad things either, as long as they don't take over and keep you from ever being productive or reaching your potential. It's okay to just want to veg out on the couch once in a while. It's okay, do it, but don't let it become your life. Wrath. When channeled appropriately, anger is a good thing. LeVay has said himself that both love and hate are necessary in controlled ways, and that makes a lot of sense. Then there's the sin of envy. Without this, there's also no free market and no motivation toward self-improvement. While I think it's important to be satisfied with what I have, I'm not ashamed to admit that I like the idea of building a little financial independence so that one day I can travel and do things that I see other people do that are currently out of my reach. Mm -hmm. A little bit of envy can actually be very motivating. Then, of course, the big one is pride. How does evangelicalism shun this one and make you feel like shit for Mm. taking pride in anything? But according to the average Satanist, pride in all its forms has its place. Without it, again, there's little room to move, expand, and grow as individuals. If we want to reach our full potential, we have to feel good about who we are and acknowledge that we contribute to our own lives and to the world. Pride, according to Wikipedia is identified as dangerously corrupt selfishness, putting one's own desires, urges, wants, and whims before the welfare of other people. The average Satanist would say, well, you know, those people have their own opportunities, but I also think that they understand that that isn't always accurate. It's not a hard and fast rule. People's circumstances do dictate what their lives look like, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about abortion. Well, you know what? Not everybody has the same opportunities. Right. So I think the average Satanist understands this well, hence the notion of doing no harm to the undeserving. So in this iteration of pride, where it's considered dangerously corrupt selfishness that puts one's own desires um, above anybody else's, I think that the average Satanist would say, yeah, you kind of have to scale it back with that. You can't just step on people and hold them down so that you can be lifted up. I think that that's the way that they would look at that. Satanism, as defined by Anton LaVey, is a celebration of the self. It encourages people to seek their own truths, indulge in desires without fear of societal taboos, and perfect the self. That, in just a couple of sentences, is a very, very good encapsulation of what this religion is and what it hopes to accomplish. Then there's the delineation between secular and theistic Satanism, which we will start looking at right now. There are two basic camps here. You've got esoteric Satanists, who are more of the traditionalist religious types, and then you've got rational Satanists, who are more secularist, atheistic, and philosophical in the way that they approach it. But let's look first at theistic Satanists or esoteric Satanists. These people find the concept of ritual centering and integral to the experience of the religion. They might view certain gods and entities as real, but typically understand that things like Satan, Lucifer, Baphomet, etc. are all constructs 
designed to provide examples of how to think, behave, interact with the world, and more. There are some, though, who believe in a literal Satan, but of those, there are only a few who actually purport to worship him or anything else for that matter. To most, Satan is more of a mentor, even the ones that believe that he's real. He's more of a mentor, a construct with emulable thoughts, philosophies, and behaviors. This is basically how LeVay framed it, but there are those who see Satan or Lucifer as a literal being that they should be taking their cues from. And that's this camp. But theistic Satanists are also sometimes referred to as Luciferians, although some, including at least a noteworthy quorum of Luciferians, disagree with this label and think that Luciferianism should never be compared to the clearly secular concept of Satanism. That said, there are precious few differences between the beliefs of an esoteric Satanist and a professed Luciferian. So they're very close. They're mm. close in what they believe. Here's where theistic Satanism began to gain traction in America. And this is also from the same source that I cited earlier. And you can actually get all of this stuff in the show notes. But I wanted to read this little bit of a quote about Michael Aquino. In 1974, Michael Aquino, a member of the hierarchy of the Church of Satan, and Lilith Sinclair, a group leader or grotto master from New Jersey, broke away from the Church of Satan on philosophical grounds and formed the splinter group, the Temple of Set. In the resulting theistic Satanism, practitioners recognized the existence of one or more supernatural beings. The major god viewed as a father or older brother is often called Satan, but some groups identify the leader as a version of the ancient Egyptian god Set. Set is a spiritual entity based on the ancient Egyptian notion of Zephyr, I believe that's how you pronounce it, translated as self-improvement or self-creation. Regardless of the being or beings in charge, none of them resemble the Christian Satan. Instead, they are beings which have the same general qualities as the symbolic Satan, sexuality, pleasure, strength, and rebellion against Western mores. Now, in my opinion, Michael Aquino is a bit of a nutter. He's kind of the Joseph Smith of modern Satanism. He claims that Satan dictated his book, The Book of Coming Forth by Night, in which Satan reveals that he is actually the Egyptian god Set. And there is a whole allegory over how his role in mythology became perverted and bastardized over time. It's nothing but fanfic. That's mm. all it is. Like I said a minute ago, there are similarities between esoteric Satanism and Luciferianism that kind of transcend anything that Michael Aquino has ever tried to accomplish or teach or anything like that. So neither esoteric Satanism nor Luciferianism has a single set of beliefs. Levian Satanism is just one flavor. Rationalists follow lots of Levay's principles as a matter of course, not because there's some list of rules that they need to follow. The Satanic Bible is not a list of rules. No. It's basically a collection of thoughts mm -hmm. and ideas and things that you can kind of model things after. But it's not a holy book that's supposed to be revered and followed word for word. And even those who take their cues from the Satanic Bible also follow their own intuitions and reject anything that they don't find personally rewarding or gratifying. And that, in and of itself, is the encapsulation of do what thou wilt. You can call yourself a Levian Satanist and scrap nine-tenths of everything in the Satanic Bible by simply invoking that one simple principle, although most who say they follow a Levian path also adhere to at least a reasonable quorum of the principles laid out in the Satanic Bible. 
Now, both esoteric Satanism and Luciferianism also respect the concepts slash entities that most religions would call gods, but few claim to worship anything. Both see themselves as either gods or at least on the same level as gods. Theistic Luciferians respect Lucifer and believe that there is much to be learned from him, but that's as far as it goes. Again, think mentor more than deity. Both adhere to a set of ethics that includes being respectful toward those who deserve it and taking on a live-and-let-live philosophy toward people who haven't caused problems in their lives or in society. So basically, they leave the unassuming ones who contribute nothing positive nor negative to their lives to their own devices and don't think about them too much. Both support the positive elements of the human experience, including encouraging creativity, striving for excellence, pursuit of success, assertion of personal freedom in all areas of life, the need for individuality, and just an overall enjoyment of life on one's own terms. Both also reject all manner of religious dogma and are understandably antagonistic toward Christianity, but not toward Christians. What is that that I'm always saying about blaming the system and not the individual? This is actually a concept that manifests within these particular ideologies. Right. And I like this little quote from one of the articles on LearnReligion.com, or what was it? Learn religion, LearnReligions.com. Luciferians and Satanists view Christians as being victims of their own religion, too dependent on their religion to escape from it. Well, you know, for some people that's true. Yeah. But when I read that, the first thing I thought was, then along came a spider. Because yeah. what are we trying to do here? We're trying to fix this part of the problem. Right. And, you know, along came Steve Fry, and along came Christopher Hitchens, and Stephen Hawkins, and Ricky Gervais, and Tracy Harris, and yes, even Matt Dillahunty in a pinch. This is where Satanists and I kind of find ourselves at an impasse. Their solution is to just let the average Christian wallow in their stupidity and just, you know, take a whole ignorance is bliss kind of tack to this. You know, pity them, but don't give them the attention that they crave. My solution, though, is to engage them with counterpoint argumentation long enough for Christianity to stop fucking up society and politics. Yeah. That really is what my goal is here. Esoteric Satanism and Luciferianism also view Satan or Lucifer in radically different ways than the average Christian. And in other news, you know, fire is hot and water is wet. Yes. Um, Satan or Lucifer is not the embodiment of evil because A, he isn't. Even in biblical accounts, he just isn't. Remember, remember people, Satan's kill count in the Bible stands at 10. Yahweh's well over 2 million at the end of the Bible. That's just by the end of the Bible. Yeah. And B, worshiping a being that is the embodiment of evil is regarded as psychopathic behavior for both Luciferians and Satanists by and large. So that's the theistic kind of end of it, where you know there's at least a nod to these beings actually existing, whether or not you want to worship them, and most don't. Then there's the rationalist Satanists or secularist or atheistic Satanists. These people typically embrace all of the above, but don't see the need for ritual or religion and understand the allegorical nature of things like demons and other so-called dark forces. Satan is a mental construct and a framework for reasoned, balanced, and rational thought, so we see it here again. After all, Lucifer was the light bearer, not the baby devourer. The concept of Satan in this instance is as a symbol of rebellion, individuality, carnality, and empowerment. That's a quote from a book called Sacred Schisms, 
How Religions Divide by James and Sarah Lewis. Now, I also asked Shell to do a little bit of research into the Satanic Temple because I can't think of a better example of secular Satanism than this organization and some of the things that they do. I love the antagonistic sort of way that they mm -hmm. go about doing things yeah. and the way that they just sort of show up on the scene and they say, hey, we're here and we have a point to make now and yeah. you're just going to fucking listen. Yeah. I, I love their MO. So tell us just a little bit about these people. While the Church of Satan built its structure around ceremonial magic, rituals, and hedonism, the Temple of Satan seems to be working with a focus on social justice and self-determination. Though both paths are atheistic in nature, the Church of Satan focuses more on the supernatural. Anton LaVey even says that his philosophy is Ayn Rand with ceremony and ritual added. Currently, the Church of Satan is more focused on the individual and focusing on individual merits and achievements. On the other left hand, the Temple of Satan is very active in current affairs, involving itself in matters of church and state division, civil liberties, and civic events. Here are some of the things the Satanic Temple is working on. Combating SB 8. That's a good one. Mm. Attempting to skirt the law, the Satanic Temple has written a letter to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration calling on it to allow its Texas members to have access to abortion pills. The Satanic Temple, which is tax-exempt and classifies itself as a non-theistic religious organization, argues its members should be able to access the abortion pills via the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Religions have special privileges under the First Amendment and the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The Satanic Temple is utilizing these privileges to protect a religious belief in bodily autonomy. As the courts affirm the rights of religious organizations to practice their faith, TST is demanding our religious rights to abortion access without unnecessary state interference, the Satanic Temple's website states. I am sure Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton will be proud to see that Texas's robust religious liberty laws, which he so vociferously champions, will prevent future abortion rituals from being interrupted by superfluous government restrictions. I like that line. Superfluous government, government restrictions. restrictions. They're so articulate. Yes. Well, that's Lucian Greaves. He's very, yeah. he's very articulate. Yeah, I like him. I, I do like him as well. And here's the next thing. The Devil's Advocate Scholarship. The Satanic Temple wants to help high school graduates pursue higher education with its Devil's Advocate Scholarship. That's awesome. Isn't oh my it God. Great? That is so fucking awesome. I love it. I know. The organization which fights for a separation between religion and public affairs will sift through submissions from 2020 graduates and award two winners $500 in scholarship money. Interested applicants are asked to submit a creative response in the form of an essay, poem, work of art, or film answering one of two questions. One asks what applicants have done to promote the temple's tenets and mission. The other asks for a description of a teacher who crushed your spirit, undermined your self-confidence, and made you hate every minute you were forced to be in school. Oh, that's a good one. Isn't it, though? That's, that's a great. good one. I'm my eighth grade math teacher. Oh, my oh, God. I could I could write like a small crushing. book about that asshole. You know what? Can I go back? Can I get in a time machine and go back 
so that I can just so that I can actually put an entry in for this. Yes. Because, oh, that that's a great story. It's not really for this podcast, but it's mm, a great story. Yeah. And um, here's some of the other fights that they've gotten involved in in the last few years. If thousands of Satanists have their way, the Arkansas State Capitol will soon host a mystical winged goat idol, not far from an existing three-ton monument to the Ten Commandments. Do it. Do it. Do it. In Minnesota, they've sued to erect a statue they call overtly satanic, but tastefully so. In Arizona, they want to bless a city council meeting, as they say theists have done for years. Do it. Oh, I'd love to see those people squirm. I know. So many evangelicals in American politics. Oh, I would love to sit many. there. I would love to just watch them sit there and have, have to, to endure this. I know. I know. It's great. Oh, yeah. Lucian Greaves, who co-founded the church in 2013 says he hopes the lawsuits will expand religious equality and free speech in a way that benefits all Americans, whether they approve of his faith or not. People get a laugh when they see us fighting to put a satanic monument on the same grounds as the Ten Commandments, but whether we succeed or fail is not of minor importance, Greaves said in an interview. When Christians seek to put up monuments in public spaces, that's not all they're asking for, he said. That's just a first step. True. So it becomes like a game of chess. Yes. I like the passive-aggressive nature of it. You know, I, do I don't like passive aggression in people that much. Right. But in instances like this yes. that are kind of like, well, not really silent protests, but innocuous sorts of things, it's like, well, what are we doing here that you're not doing? Right. Is kind of the point. Yes. I just sort of like, I like their gall. Yes. These people have a lot of gall, and that's ne- that's not necessarily a bad thing. No. I think that that phrase has been vilified too much. These people have gall, and it's a good thing. Yes. It's a really good thing. The church's argument in Little Rock, where it intervened in a lawsuit by secularists seeking to remove the Granite Commandments monument, is that it violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment by putting a government stamp of approval on one religion over others. Rather than have the commandments taken down, though, the church wants to put up its angel-winged goat, Baphomet, to memorialize people killed in witch hunts, the original kind. I think that's a great idea. I think so, too. Greaves, a Detroit native now living in Salem, Massachusetts, says it's simple and entirely American. You can't give preference to a specific religious viewpoint and also say we're a nation of religious liberty. Religious liberty was never meant to apply to one viewpoint. In better times than where we are right now, I'm not a big fan of being out in public for something like a lecture or something in a crowded hall. But when all of this bullshit is finally behind us, wouldn't it be amazing just to listen to this guy talk for like an hour? Yeah. Because there's there's a good brain in that head. And the way that he organizes his thoughts... And the way that he organizes all the stuff that the temple does, Mm. I think, is from somebody who really, really gravitates towards smart people, I feel like there's a lot I could learn from this guy. Yeah. I feel like just just from the standpoint of how I present my counter-apologetic to all of this bullshit, I could learn a thing or two from this guy and from the organization the way that they do things. Oh, yeah. If I had their money and if I had their backing... I could see myself doing a lot of this shit just to antagonize the fuck out of evangelicals. I could see myself doing a lot of it. Yeah. But 
the cool part about it is that it isn't all about just antagonizing people. No. It's about making solid points about where this country is, where it's headed, and how fucked up it all is. Right. No one wants to bat an eye over someone erecting a huge slab with the Ten Commandments on it. But put up a statue of Baphomet and everyone just loses their fucking minds. Yeah. So... That's the point that they're trying to make. It's like, well, what's mm-hmm. the difference between this religious image and this religious image? What, you like this and don't like this? Well, fuck you. We still have freedom of religion in this country. Yeah. That's kind of the messaging that I get from a lot of this. And I think that it's very, very sound messaging. Yeah. And here is, uh, I'm going to talk about some of the counter-protests that they have been involved in. A group of protesters dressed mostly in black gathered on the south steps of the Capitol on Saturday to make a statement about abortion laws in Utah. They were members of the Satanic Temple, demanding that Utah doesn't turn into Texas on reproductive rights. Demonstrators sported pentagram t-shirts and tattoos, Handmaid's Tales-inspired outfits, and horns. But on the signs they held, Satan was rarely mentioned. Keeping the separation from church and state is very important, said Melissa Weber, a 32-year-old member of the Satanic Temple. So if churches are going to come in and tell us what we can do with our bodies, we'll make our own rights in our church and how we do with our bodies. She held a poster that read, Keep your rosaries off my ovaries. I love that. That's yeah, I know, awesome. Right? These are very smart people. Smart and loaded with snark. Yes. That's a great combination. It is. Okay, and this is from a protest in Detroit. In images from the protest, a woman named Jex Blackmore can be seen wearing a crown of thorns and a faux pregnancy belly while carrying a cross meant to symbolize the burden of oppressive mandates endured by women, as the Satanic Temple noted in a press release. The Satanists marched in front of a small crowd of anti-abortion protesters, including a priest standing next to a sign that said, We are praying for you and your baby. Blackmore told the Daily Beast that the protest was meant to refute the parallels that the Pro-Life Action League was trying to draw between the crucifixion and abortion. In the current abortion debate, she said, It's not the fetus nor the church that suffers, but women who bear the greatest burden. I like these people's style so, so much. And I love the fact that they don't have to cram the religion down people's throats to make their point. I I like the line in there about how they rarely mention Satan or their church affiliation. It's like, look, we're here. You know who we are. You know what we represent. This is our point. This is our platform. Listen to this because you don't give a fuck about who we worship. But you probably give a little bit more of a fuck about these issues. So we're going to address these issues. We're here representing our organization, but we're not here representing our quote unquote God. No. You know, that's that they're they were there representing what was right. They were there representing reason and rational thought and making some pretty fucking good point counterpoint along the way with these people. So that is just a little bit about the Satanic Temple, and you can see how it kind of differs from the way that Anton LaVey would have done things. This is secular Satanism done in probably its purest form. Right. That's what the Satanic Temple is. There's um, sort of a attitude shift between the Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple. The Church of Satan seems to like, it's my way or the highway, 
they really want to make that point. If you disagree with me, I'm just going to destroy you. Right. And the satanic temple is more like, let's reason together and see if we can come to some sort of conclusion that will benefit everybody. I just want to amend that to say that these are the people in the organizations, right. not the organizations themselves. Right. Because, like I said earlier, you can you can throw out 95% of what Anton LaVey said oh, right. and still call yourself a LaVeyan Satanist because you are invoking do what thou wilt right. as your reason for just rejecting all this shit. So it's the people, not the organizations, but I see yeah. your point. For me, what it really boils down to, when when you look at the different camps that are out there and the different ways of approaching this religion as either a religion or an ideology or a philosophy or just a good set of rules for how to live your life. There are a lot of people out there that need structure. But then again, there are others that can deal with a more abstract, very personal interpretation of what they believe and how they approach, respond to, and implement the knowledge that they glean from their religion, if they even look at it as such. You know, many don't. Many Satanists see themselves as part of a subculture, and that being a culture of humanism, hedonism, love when warranted, hate when warranted. Ultimately, it's about personal responsibility right. and how you approach the world. You see, that's, that's another thing I like about this. Mm -hmm. is the fact that it places responsibility for being a good person on the person. It's not like you're going to suffer consequences for not, but, you know, you'll deal with a whole lot less shit in your life if you're just a good person and you do things that make you feel good but don't get in the way of other people's good time or how they live their life or the quality of their life or any of those things. These are all good messages that I think come through loud and clear through both of these main branches right. of Satanism. Intellectual or rational Satanism is more response to the closed-minded, black-and-white nature of most religious thought. It provides an anchor for thought that is more human and, yes, self-centric. Believe it or not, a dose of self-centeredness can be very healthy when balanced with respect and fair treatment of others. Let's not confuse being self-centered with being narcissistic or uncaring. These things have a huge divide between them. Many Satanists embrace a life of hedonism and self-gratifying behavior with deference to the ways their actions affect the world around them. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, but it doesn't end there. The other half of that is, but make good choices if you want your life to generally include good things. Unlike the Wiccan Reed that says basically the same thing with the caveat of harm none, Satanism basically teaches that harming none is a good idea, but if you choose to forsake that part of it, be prepared to be unhappy at best and a victim of the consequences of your actions at worst. Personal responsibility and integrity are huge concepts in Satanism as outlined in the 11 Satanic Rules of the Earth, which I am going to go through very quickly so you get an idea of what Anton LaVey thought about this. He did have a lot of good things to say. I'm just going to put that out there. And the 11 Satanic Rules of the Earth is one of those things that I think really defines what this is better than a lot of things do. And it's one thing that your pastor is not going to read to you from the pulpit. So, real quick, do not give opinions or advice unless you're asked. Do not tell your troubles to others unless you are sure they want to hear them. When in another's lair, show him respect or else do not go there. That means don't diss somebody in their own fucking house. If a guest in your lair annoys you, treat him cruelly and without mercy. Ouch. Yeah. Do not make sexual advances unless you're given the mating signal. I don't know if that was an actual thing that he taught 
but uh, it makes sense. It's all about consent. Do not take that which does not belong to you unless it is a burden to the other person and he cries out to be relieved. Acknowledge the power of magic if you have employed it successfully to obtain your desires. If you deny the power of magic after having called upon it with success, you will lose all that you have obtained. Do not complain about anything to which you need not subject yourself. Do not harm little children. Do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked or for your food. And finally, when walking in open territory, bother no one. If someone bothers you, ask him to stop. If he does not stop, destroy him. <laughs> now, a couple of these are a little bit harsh, but again, like we talked about in the beginning, this was Anton LaVey's MO. Yeah. He used language like this very, very deliberately. But when I read these things, I sort of, you know, gloss over things like if your guest uh, annoys you, treat him cruelly. Because number one, I kind of understand what it means. It's like, you know, if, if somebody comes into your house and just out and out disses you, just tell them to get the fuck out. I mean, that really is most of what that means. But again, it was more of that sensationalistic speech that Anton LaVey was known for. So there's a good encapsulation here of what Satanism is all about. Is it all great and wonderful and, and emulable stuff? Well, maybe not in the context of a couple of these things. You might want to uh, adjust them a little bit. But here's the really cool part about it is that you're allowed to. Right. And you're allowed to interpret these things any way you want. But, you know, you, there's also the counterpoint within the pages of the Satanic Bible that basically more clearly define what destroying someone actually is. <laughs> Anton LaVey is not telling you to kill anybody here. No. Okay. It's just more of that caustic language that he loves to use. So within the 11 rules of the earth, you, you do actually see that balance of self-gratification with respecting the rights of others. It's kind of the counterpoint to the Wiccan read that I heard so often when I was in Wicca, where some people kind of amended the read to, instead of as it harm none, do what you will, they kind of look at it as do no harm, but take no shit. Yeah. You see, that's what I glean from the more caustic words in the, uh, in the 11 rules is, you know, be, be the best you that you can be, but don't take shit from people. There's, there's no reason to take shit from people. The Satanic Bible also includes nine opening statements that mesh well with these ideas. LaVey kind of liked his lists, as it would appear. Oh, yeah. And as I read through these, it occurred to me that if I wasn't so averse to labels or treading so close to religious lines in matters of my own personal identity, I feel like a lot of these principles mirror the way that I think about things. So, again, very quickly, let's go through these. There's, um, I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail here, but I do want to say a little bit about some of these. First, there's the concept of indulgence, not abstinence. One of the key parts of at least Levian Satanism is hedonism. So there's a lot of indulging going on with that. Nothing is to be gained by denying oneself pleasure. Religious calls for abstinence more often come from faiths that view the physical world and its pleasures as spiritually dangerous. That's a great way of putting that. Mm -hmm. you know, I don't think I've ever heard it put quite that way before, but that's what Christianity teaches us in a nutshell is that most of the things, especially on the list of seven deadly sins, well, these are spiritually dangerous. We need to distance ourselves from them. Second is vital existence, not spiritual illusion. Reality and existence are sacred, 
And the truth of that existence is to be honored and sought at all times. Number three, undefiled wisdom, not hypocritical self-deceit. True knowledge takes work and strength. It is something one finds rather than something handed to you. Doubt everything and avoid dogma. That's great advice. Mm. Kindness to those who deserve it, not love wasted on ingrates. There's more of that caustic Levian language right. there. There is nothing in Satanism that encourages wanton cruelty or unkindness. There is nothing productive in that, but it is also unproductive to waste your energy on people who will not appreciate or reciprocate your kindness. So, you know, there's, there's that whole concept of don't love anybody more than they're willing to love you back. Right. It's very, very good policy. And you can get yourself in considerable trouble if you forget that along the way. Yeah. Then number five is vengeance, not turning the other cheek. Leaving wrongs unpunished merely encourages miscreants to continue preying on others. Those who do not stand up for themselves end up being trampled. And there's a lot of truth in there, too. We did a show a long time ago on the subject of forgiveness, yeah. where I made it very clear that forgiveness is never mandatory, and sometimes it's not productive. Sometimes it doesn't help. You don't have to necessarily forgive somebody of something because you love them. The thing happened. It affected you. Sometimes the best course is to forgive and move on. But sometimes just being able to keep that in the front of your mind when that person says this will never happen again, instead of just forgiving it, then maybe it's a better idea to keep that record of wrongs just a little bit longer and see what happens. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I get from that. Next, give responsibility to the responsible. Oh, I like this one. Satan advocates extending responsibility to the responsible rather than acquiescing to psychic vampires. True leaders are identified by their actions and accomplishments, not their titles. So much rational truth in this. Oh, yeah. Number seven, man is just another animal. Satan sees man as just another animal, sometimes better but more often worse than those that walk on all fours. He is an animal who, because of his divine spiritual and intellectual development, has become the most vicious animal of all. Not at all overstated, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Celebrating the so-called sins. Satan champions the so-called sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. In general, the concept of sin is something that breaks a moral or religious law, and Satanism is strictly against such following of dogma. So this, again, goes back to one of our very early episodes where we talked about getting beyond the concept of sin and start right. looking at things in terms of actions and consequences. That's what this is saying here. Erase dogma from the equation and just understand that if you want good things to come into your life, then you need to perform good actions. If you perform bad actions, don't be surprised when bad things make their way into your life. It's kind of elementary as far as I'm concerned. Last but not least... I love this quote. I absolutely love this quote. And, you know, the funny thing is, I didn't know what it meant for the longest time because I thought he was referring to Satan and the Church of Satan, which, right. you know, it, it didn't make sense to me because the church wasn't that old at the time. Then it occurred to me what he was really talking about here. Mm. He says, Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had as he has kept it in business all these years. Well, he's not talking about the Church of Satan. He's talking about the Christian church, Catholic church in particular. And the way that all of this bugaboo about Satan is what keeps people fearful. And 
when you can keep people fearful, you can keep them in the pews. When you can get them in the pews, then you can get in their wallets. And that's really all it's about. So some of the things that I gleaned just reading through this the first time is that love is earned, hate is acceptable, forgiveness is provisional, gratifying the flesh isn't wrong unless you're self-harming in the process, but you know that right there is my own little caveat. It's not That's not in there. But the idea of actions and consequences absolutely is. Shun dogma and religiosity. Acknowledge people's strengths. Emulate strong, self-assured, free-thinking people and give these people the authority that they deserve. Oh, and keep in mind that we're just mammals with slightly more advanced brains than the primates and sin boldly. Chances are, if it feels good, it's going to offend someone, but that doesn't necessarily make it wrong. You see, that's what I get from most of that. Satanism is a religion founded on the idea of loving and respecting yourself and others who deserve that love. I think too few of us, yes, us, understand how important that is. Some of us waste a lot of time loving people who can't or won't love us back. So much of the ideology of Satanism is a recipe for good mental health and self-image. Is it any wonder why the real adversaries, mostly Christian organizations, want to vilify it and push the stereotypes to the point where the real messaging can't rise above the din? That, I think, is the biggest problem and issue that we have here. The misinformation that goes around about what this is is staggering. And, you know, when you're when you're 15 years old, it puts you in a place of fear, especially in the middle of the satanic panic. Yeah. It can really put you in a place of fear. And it can take years and sometimes decades to have the records set straight in your head. And that's why we're here. And that's why we're having this conversation. We're starting to wind things down just a little bit here. But I thought that it was interesting when I was doing my research on this that there are even more branches of Satanism out there. And, you know, some of these are a little wigged out. Some of them are a little bit out there. And I had never heard of most of these before I started doing the research, maybe one or two. But there's some crazy shit going on out there. Just like there is in the name of Christianity, there's some crazy shit going on in the name of <laughs> Satanism that even the evangelicals don't even want to comment on because I guess this stuff is just a little bit too innocuous for them. They need to focus on, you know, sacrificing babies and shit like that. But there are a few. And just to give a little thumbnail sketch, first there's anti-cosmic Satanism. It's all, This is also referred to as chaos Gnosticism, the misanthropic Luciferian order, and the temple of the black light. And their basic belief here is that the cosmic order created by the God of the Bible is a fabrication behind which lurks a reality that is in an endless, formless chaos. Things like order and civility are just confinements and we should let chaos reign. Oh. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? Mm. Then there's transcendental Satanism. <laughs> wow. Sorry, sorry. This It was just so funny when I read this. That, you know, I'm, I have a hard time saying the words without, like, starting to laugh. So let's try this again. Transcendental Satanism. Developed by a porn director. No, I'm not kidding. It was developed by a porn director named Matt the Lord Zane. Okay, that was the name that he chose to use. This branch of Satanism, quote, came to him during an LSD trip. There's your first clue, Sherlock. And in the article about him on... Uh, learnreligions.com, it says, Transcendental Satanists seek a form of spiritual evolution with the end goal of each individual, a reunification with his or her inner satanic aspect. 
Adherents feel that the satanic aspect in life is a hidden part of the self that is separate from consciousness, and believers can find their way to that self by following an individually determined path. What a way to say absolutely nothing. Wow. <laughs> then there's demonolatry, not to be confused with demonology. Basically, this is the worship of demons, but some sects see each demon as a separate force or energy that could be used to aid in the practitioner's rituals or magic, just like drawing deities into your circle in right. Wicca. Modern demonolatry includes a list of over 200 demons aggregated from a multitude of both ancient and modern religious traditions. Adherents generally worship demons that mirror their own attributes or ones with whom they share a connection. And again, this is pretty much how working with various deities in Wicca panned out. You know, you, you quote unquote worked with the deity that most complemented your own personality, your own thought processes right. and whatever. The satanic reds, I, never have I ever heard mm. of this particular sect. But these people view Satan as a dark force that has existed since the beginning of time. Its major proponent, Tani Jansing, claims that there was a pre-Sanskrit history of the cult and believes that individuals must follow their own chakras to find their inner force. Woo-rificness at its finest. The inner force exists in everyone, and it is trying to evolve according to each individual's environment. The Reds is an explicit reference to socialism. Many satanic Reds espouse the rights of workers to throw off their chains. So that is what it is. Um, Christian-based duotheism and polytheistic Satanism. This is a small sect of theistic Satanism that believes that there is an ongoing war between Yahweh and Satan, but instead of rooting for God, they root for the devil. The sect is said to be based on ancient Zoroastrian beliefs about the eternal conflict between good and evil. There are also polytheistic groups like the Church of Azazel, which revere Satan as one of many gods, literal gods. Then there's, this is a mouthful, the Process Church of the Final Judgment, a.k.a. just the Process Church, because mm -hmm. that's so much easier to remember. Yes. A religious group established in London in the 1960s by two people who were ejected from the Church of Scientology. <laughs> okay. Together, Marianne McLean and Robert de Grimston developed their own practices based on a pantheon of four gods known as the great gods of the universe. The four are Jehovah, a.k.a. Yahweh, Lucifer, Satan, and Christ, and none are evil. Instead, each exemplifies different patterns of human existence. Each member selects one or two of the four that is closest to their own personality. Again, just like the gods you bring into the circle in Wicca. Yeah. Um, so much woo in that and so little time to even expound on it. <laughs> and finally, and finally, from the adorable scamps that put the love in Lovecraft, I give you the cult of Cthulhu. And I think this is worth more than just a paragraph, but not for this particular episode. Um, <laughs> Based on the H.P. Lovecraft novels, the cults, yes, it's actually plural, of Cthulhu, are comprised of a number of small groups that share the same name but have radically different ideals, goals, and beliefs. Some believe that Cthulhu was real and will eventually usher in an era of chaos and uninhibited violence. So I guess the anti-cosmics could kind of get behind this. This process will eventually wipe out humanity, though. So, you know, there's a price to be paid for everything. Less nihilistic cultists see Cthulhu as a philosophy rooted on the concept of cosmic indifferentism. 
The universe just is. It has no agenda. It does what it does because that's what it does, and that's it. So just a final thought or two here before we wrap this conversation up, and I think it was a good one. I think that, uh, you know, I learned a lot researching this, and, you know, there were I knew most of it, but some of the details that came through really did expand my understanding of this a little bit more. And I hope that that's true for everyone listening because that was what the point of this was. Not to convert you to Satanism, but to get you to understand that what you've heard about it from the average evangelical pulpit is really way the fuck off. Mm. And that's what we wanted to convey tonight. So if you got that message, we did our job. But just a couple of quick thoughts to end this off. The documentary filmmaker Penny Lane refers in an interview about her documentary Hail Satan, with a question mark, to, quote, the difficult work of being heretics. I can't think of a better way to describe at least popular iterations of Satanism than that. The word heresy has gotten a bad rep over the years. Being a heretic is bad. Or is it? You know, the way I see it, without heretical thought, almost everybody would be ensnared in someone else's belief system, and in a lot of ways, society is. We're shackled to a lot of rules that flat out don't improve or enhance anything about life. We're allowed to marry someone, but just one someone, for example. And there are those who still want to have their say in who we love and who we marry, etc., and are having their say on these subjects way more than they should. And there are also those who think that things like dictating what a woman does about an unwanted pregnancy are okay. Um, That's not okay either. I think that in every iteration of Satanism, even more radical versions like anti-cosmos or baseline Cthulianism have something legit to say. And I like how the underlying principle in most branches of the religion is doing what feels right for the individual. I like that Satanism allows questions to be asked and conclusions drawn. It's not just a list of hard and fast rules and thou shalt and thou shalt nots. That's what I like about it. The bottom line for me is that while I'm not looking to identify with another religion during my lifetime, there are definitely worse paths to choose than Satanism if I were. Some of the more radical views I mentioned are only held by a few, and like with any religion, you're always going to find radicals here too. And you'll even find stuff in the mainstream parts of this that you'll disagree with, and that's also okay. But I think what I like the most about the concept of Satanism is how well it aligns with the concept of getting unbound. In the context of this show, that term means breaking free of the shackles of evangelicalism. In Satanist terms, it involves breaking free of any societal norm, way of thinking, or religious construct that doesn't serve us as individuals. For me, I have my own mission. Get people out from under the confines of evangelicalism. But once that's accomplished, I think there's loads to be learned from at least the more widely held beliefs and principles of Satanism. Do whatever you want, but remember that there are always consequences. Do not do harm just because. Strive for excellence. Be focused. Know what you want and do what it takes to have it. Be prideful. Be selfish. Make it all about you. But again, don't step on anyone else's rights to pursue the things that you want. Not everything is about you. You'd be pissed if someone did that to you. So take a leaf from that book as you decide how you are going to live your life and how it's going to affect other people. To me, when applied the right way, these principles all steer the individual towards success. They promote a good self-image and they teach people that it's okay to just be human. And while I'm not advocating becoming a Satanist, I do think that they can teach us a lot about all of the above. 
And I, for one, can clearly see how the things they teach, believe, and practice form the framework for a life that is not shackled to a static list of do's and don'ts, but rather one that is a clear and comprehensive definition of what it means to be unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.